Hello, folks. How are you? I hope this finds you well. Thank you for deciding to listen to maybe it's your first, maybe it's another episode of Soundtrack in my weekly podcast where I dive into the minds of creatives, be that in the world of film or TV, to talk about their relationship with music, both professionally and personally. And I'm very excited about some of the guests that we have coming up, some returning guests in the form of Nicholas Brutel and some brand new guests. Uh, One particular guest, I don't want to talk about specifically by name at the minute, just in case it doesn't happen, but someone who has been uh, a big fan of the podcast and a big supporter of the podcast since we launched. And he's quite a big deal. And I'm very much hoping that he will be part of the conversation in June. It's very annoying when people do that, isn't that? When they go, oh, I've got some... Oh, no, I can't tell you. Anyway, let's talk about the now. My latest guest on Soundtracking is a rare thing in this business, a female composer. There just aren't enough of them yet. Amelia Warner is relatively new to the game, but is definitely making very big waves. Having provided the scores for Mary Shelley and the brilliant BBC short Leading Lady Parts. Her latest offering is Wild Mountain Time. Written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, Wild Mountain Time is a comedic family drama set in Ireland and it stars Amelia's husband, Jamie Dornan, Emily Blunt and Mad Men's John Hamm. I thoroughly enjoyed this film Uh, and we'll be talking to Amelia about it in depth very shortly but first a word from our dear friends at Grass & Co. Now if you are a regular listener to Soundtracking you'll have heard me talking about this brand quite a bit that's because I am a genuine fan of their products. Now I thought it'd be nice to maybe clear a few things up for some of you who might not be totally aware of what CBD is and what its benefits are. So CBD stands for, and apologies if I pronounce this wrong, CBD stands for cannabidiol, which is a natural extract of the hemp plant, both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co are a premium CBD range of the finest quality, sustainably sourced and blended with complementary botanical ingredients like chamomile, ginger, turmeric and ashwagandha, which not only make it taste lovely, but help relax your mind and soothe your body. Now, why do I use it? Well, to be honest, it just makes my day a bit easier. I find that it helps me with anxiety, stress and definitely sleeping. So maybe now's the time for you to give CBD a go. And if so, I can highly recommend Grass & Co products. Now, they've got three ranges, Calm, Rest and ease and I'm particularly fond of the calm range which also comes with some fabulous companion products like aromatherapy candles, pillow spray or great for any muscle issues their CBD balm. Now they're all there to help you with your daily routine bringing a touch of tranquility to whatever lays ahead for you. Grass & Co CBD oils contain no trace of THC. All the CBD products are totally legal to buy, consume and supply in the UK. Interested? Well, find your calm with, how's about this, 25% off plus free shipping. Just head to grassandco.com forward slash sound. Now, all you need to do 
is use the discount code SOUND, that's S-O-U-N-D, at checkout to claim your 25% off the Grass & Co Calm Ease and Rest CBD ranges. 25% off, that's awesome. So visit grassandco.com forward slash sound, that's grassandco.com forward slash sound and use the discount code sound at checkout to claim 25% off the entire Grass & Co ranges. And so to Amelia and her score for Wild Mountain Time, which we have to give her massive congratulations for because it's been nominated for quite a few awards and quite rightly so. It expertly combines sweeping orchestration with more traditional Irish musical tropes. One such example is our opening cue, Cowshed. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Wild Mountain Time. Ah, well, you know I love this film. This film came along and it was just what I needed. It was a proper tonic. I found it hilarious. I found it emotional. And, you know, I was thinking about it today when I was thinking about what I was going to ask you about it. But I think because I'm Scottish and I've seen so many films of Scottish people depicted in good ways and bad ways... I just think that this has got such a beautiful representation of those comedic romantic stereotypes, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think it's, um, thanks for saying all of that. And I'm so pleased that you, that you liked it. Um, I think, it, you know, it's really difficult when you're kind of trying to depict a specific, you know, group of people. And, you know, there's that old adage that stereotypes are often true. You know, they, they come they come from truth originally, and obviously they can get a bit distorted and exaggerated. Um, but usually, there's a grain of truth in a stereotype. And I do, you know, I've I've sp spent a lot of time in Ireland, and you know, there are just certain kind of character, you know, things that 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 are true. And and but you also, you, of course, you don't want to generalize, and you don't want to treat everyone in broad strokes so it's a really difficult line and you know to when you're when you're um talking about the irish or the scottish or the or any you know yeah. any people um to kind of be truthful um and authentic but then also to have a laugh about some kind of some you know quirks <laughs> yeah but that's the thing is i can't there are not many films that make me laugh out loud and yeah this, this did for all the right reasons in the right places yeah oh that's good yeah, yeah. I mean it made me laugh and you know and it, it did remind me of you know certain situations or people <laughs> I've met in Ireland that, that you know you've just been kind of completely flummoxed or you know just surprised or confused by behavior and um, I mean yeah I think it's really funny and I think that the script and the dialogue is just inc like incredibly funny and lyrical and um, yeah and unusual and it really kind of 
I remember when I first read it, it almost took me like 20 pages or something to like, under, to get it, to get the rhythm, to get the, you know, it's, it's so particular. But once, you, once you're in, you're kind of, you're in. And I think that because it came from John Patrick Shanley's play to a screenplay, it has a specific journey in terms of the characters have already had an existence, you know, in a certain place. So they already have that kind of, that confidence and weight and rhythm, like you say. Yeah, I think that's really true. They do. They have a, a, an assuredness, don't they? And they have, they're kind of bedded in something already. Mm. Like they feel like they're, they're real living people. Yeah. And that, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that must be what it is. It's because they existed already in the play. We get to hear your music before we see anyone, which is nice as well. It's like it comes sweeping in and just it takes. <laughs> but that's the lovely thing about it is that it, it's, it's, it's almost like a magic carpet of music in terms of you're like, you know, it, it, that, I think that's the thing with the film is you just have to jump on it and kind yeah. of go on the ride because well, it's got this really fine line with the kind of tone of it in terms of there obviously has to be an element of that historical kind of Celtic instrumentation and yeah. sound. There has to be the comedic element in there. There has to be the romantic element in there. So it's when you kind of pick it apart like that, that's quite a difficult thing to to achieve. And I just think you've done an amazing and beautiful job with it. And I've got to say congratulations as well on all the recognition you're getting for it as well, which is like, woohoo! Thank you. So great. Was it was it a hard score to to create? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I really, I had such a great time on it and I really enjoyed every minute. It was a, it was a joyous um, experience. You know, it really, there were really few moments that, you know, that I was kind of banging my head against the wall. Like most of it was just really lovely. And I mean, I think that there were a few challenges, um, mainly in the tone, I think, and kind of trying to find that balance between you know, trying to make the, the humour work. And I think that was the hardest thing because it's not an out-and-out out comedy, but there are some really funny moments. And I think that um, that was a hard one to kind of get right. And we tried, we tried going really funny and going really silly. And then I just remember John calling me and saying, okay, so we know that silly doesn't work. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's that. So we'd, silly doesn't work. But then we kind of, but you almost need to push it really far one way to know which, you know, where, where to go next. And, um, and then also trying to, you know, balance that, that Celtic sound and having something that would sound authentic and, and something based in reality, not a kind of imagined version of Ireland, not a kind of pastiche yeah like a uh, visit ireland type thing well exactly and i kept thinking like is this the visit ireland ad <laughs> the beginning of visit ireland ad and particularly the, the opening shot that you mentioned because you know you've just got this unbelievably beautiful shot of ireland
so that was that was you know a really important thing of trying to trying to make it sound authentic but then also there was a you know there's a side of the movie that that is really magical and fairy tale like and otherworldly and heightened so you I wanted to have fun with that too and I wanted to mm. have that feel of like this is a movie this is magical this is like it, it's it has this kind of fairy tale bewitching quality so I also didn't want to be too restrained you know I wanted to go for it and and um so there were lots of things at play. And I think what helped me was that the film already had this musical kind of identity. Okay. Before it even came on, because it had, you know, the, so the song Wild Mountain Time, which is where it gets its name, um, is, is featured in the film a few times. Uh, and it's this really soulful, gorgeous folk song. There's also, which I actually knew before, there was a Kate Rusby version of that song that I used to listen to so much so I, I mean I love that that song it's just so simple and and beautiful And then, you, and then there's also Swan Lake is featured a couple. Yeah. And so, you know, that was there in the script. So I knew that that was going to be there. And that's this, you know, huge, theatrical, dramatic, brilliant music. And so because it had those two things already there, I felt like my, my job was to kind of find something that bridged the two and something that could have that, like, sweet, soulful folk warmth mm -hmm. but then also have the sweeping drama of something like Swan Lake and so I think that's kind of where I tried to pitch the score was in the middle of those two things. Was there temp on there when you came on board? Because I, I, I love having the conversation with composers about their relationship with temp music, whether they, yeah. some, some actually find it useful, some are like, please let me see the film without the temp score. 
There was temp on there. And I feel like, I mean, I feel like this could be quite controversial, but I'm, I'm a, I like temp music. I find it really informative and helpful. Sometimes just purely because it really shows you what doesn't work. And sometimes it really shows you what works. And then you can go, well, what is it that works about this? Is it the tempo? Is it the tone? Is it the instrumentation? And, and also I find it a really useful tool when you're discussing with a director because you can really break down what it is they like about something. And sometimes it's something really simple. You know, there'll be a piece of music on there that you're like, this doesn't work. Oh my God, you know, what, but then they're like, oh, I really like the oboe. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, we can do the oboe. That's fine, but we, do we need to do this? No, 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 I don't like anything else about it. And you're like, okay. So I think it can be really helpful. I think, you know, and actually with Mary, Mary Shelley was tempted really well. And it, and, it, and it really helped kind of, it really illustrated like where we could go with the score and mm -hmm. it kind of blew away all of the barriers for me because there was temp on there that was quite kind of you know it wasn't what you would have imagined on a film like Mary Shelley of period piece there was some really great contemporary tracks and because the, the temp had kind of proven that these ideas worked it just meant that I could just jump in and, and try those things. It, I, I think it can be really helpful. I mean, obviously, there's always the, the nightmare of temp love and when a director just loves a piece of temp or you, you know, I've also had that where I love a piece of temp and I'm like, oh, my God, this just is never going to be, you know, better than that. And that can be hard. You know, that can be mm. really, really hard to, um, you know, move away from or to, to be presenting new ideas. But with Wild Mountain Time, I mean, the one piece of temp that was really difficult was um, the Flying Dutchman was on there, mm -hmm. Ragnar's Flying Dutchman. And I knew that, um, that John loved it. Like I knew he absolutely loved it and it was his idea to have it on there. And he'd, and so the editor kind of said to me like, you know, you're not gonna get rid of this. And I knew that there were conversations going on about licensing it and, you know, but it was this really amazing moment of the film and, and like as a composer, a really exciting point because there's like, you know, four minutes of no dialogue or anything, you know, so you, you, there's a real chance to just kind of have the music be uh, really exciting. And so I was, I was quite adamant that I would get my music on there. <laughs> 
and I really worked I worked really hard to you know to to try and kind of bring something that would be you know I mean obviously I didn't better the Flying Dutchman but but to kind of match it yeah yeah and it did and I remember John just love you know instantly just loving it and and he was kind of saying just take it further and he kept going push it further I want you to scare yourself (laughs) so I had this um, you know, this cue with, I mean, I threw everything at it. Like it had everything going on. <laughs> What's that cue called? So it's called, um, there's two, they kind of follow directly on. So there's the phone call and then open the shutters. Mm. And they're the ones with the symbols and the, yeah. you know, the, the crashing and banging and the timpanies and everything. Exactly. It's really fun. <laughs> that you had with John about because there like you say there are moments in the film where there's no music and that can sometimes be a really difficult decision for a director to make you know because the kind of not that the music's a safety blanket but not having music can be as hard a decision as to as it is to where to put music was that were you involved in conversations with John about that in terms of where things needed and didn't need music um I, I wasn't really because I came on quite late and um they'd already kind of gone, you know, down, down a road with music. And so it had kind of been spotted. And I think all of those conversations had already happened. Mm -hmm. So when I came on, it was pretty, you know, it was, um, you know, there were, it was spotted and those moments were decided like, this is where there's going to be music. And there wasn't a lot of um, ambiguity about that, to be honest. I mean, there were a couple of points where there wasn't music that we ended up putting music because I just thought I tried a couple of things and I did feel like they worked. And I feel like maybe there were even a couple of moments where we took out music. So there were a couple of switches, but it was pretty, it was pretty set, um, you know, already by that point. Did you, what was the kind of decision making process in the, in like the instrumentation? Because you obviously have that kind of Celtic world and then you have the kind of the other sides to the the cue sort of thing. Was there, was there a kind of discussion about I guess kind of authenticity with instrumentation and things like that when it came to that you know traditional folk side of things and or not yeah there were so I knew that I wanted there to be a kind of um band almost like a a kind of trad band set up that would be like separate from the school Mm. for the more Celtic kind of Irish cues And John, I mean, I just remember him saying to me, I don't want anything that sounds like it would be in a spa. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, so we're going to get rid of the harp. We're going to get rid of, you know, any, anything like kind of too whistly or pipey. So I went more in a direction of, um, we, we had clarinets, which I get isn't, wouldn't be authentically in a trad, you know, setup, but, um, but it can be. And I've yeah. seen, you know, um, that in Ireland before with a clarinet player 
a clarinet and um, accordion, a double bass um, and two violins. And, and I had this amazing um, fiddle player, violin player called Sam Sweeney, who's a brilliant, brilliant folk musician. Like he's just incredible. And so he came on and he played on all of those cues and, you know, he just added that like incredible sound and that energy and that way of playing, you know, that is, that is really unique to folk music. And I think it adds a really great energy to all of those cues and it, and it gave it a bit more of a kind of wild raucous feeling. It wasn't, you know, it's was a bit more improvised. It was a bit more playful. So we had that um, and I felt like those kind of sounds and those instruments felt really warm to me and they had like a warmth to them and a character and I wanted those cues to just feel really characterful. Yeah, and no nothing too shrill. You know, I wanted it to have a kind of uh, a warmth to it. And then uh, the rest of the, the, rest of the um, score was, you know, was very orchestral and kind of traditional and I wanted it to sound as as kind of traditional um, as possible. And I kept thinking about things like Ryan's Daughter and those kind of beautiful old romantic movies. And I just wanted it to be full sweeping romance and, you know, beautiful lush strings. That was that was the kind of main they were the main components and then I guess the the thing that I found the thing that kind of went between was obviously the violin you know we kind of had lots and lots of violin and then also uh, the accordion was used loads like way more than I than I thought I would be using it and it just it just kind of ended up cropping up in every single cue and I was like let's put the accordion in there and it just <laughs> gave this really gorgeous um depth to everything and character and even the kind of more orchestral um or string cues having the accordion in there and kind of layered underneath the strings just really added something kind of quite unique so yeah I really fell fell in love with the accordion on this job <laughs> Thank you. 
I was one thing I wanted to ask you about whether you were, there were any sort of specific films or or musicians or scores that you listened to in terms of you know sort of inspiration and I can't remember who we, um Brian's daughter was at Maurice Jarre and I can't remember who we spoke to about that maybe like in the last year about him and about working with him and about how diverse his you know the the work that he did was you know from like Lawrence Arabia to yeah to that sort of thing but were there were there any other specific kind of ins- points of inspiration for you for this score no I mean it's it's weird because I didn't have a lot of time to kind of prepare like it was pretty good fast and when I'm writing music I tend not to listen to too much music mm-hmm. just because I find that then things cross-pollinate and you end up stealing things and you don't mean to and so I, I am quite kind of um so I'll kind of have things in my mind that I'm referencing, but I won't actually go and listen to them because I don't want to have that melody or I don't want to have that. Um, so I was definitely, I, mean, I was thinking of, I was even thinking about like Gone with the Wind and what, hmm. you, know, you know, really big. I wanted that to just have a really kind of clear theme, love theme. Big romance. Yeah, big romance theme. And then I did listen to quite a bit of... Um, trad music because that was something I felt like I needed to immerse myself in a bit so mm. I I had um I'm married to an Irishman so that was helpful and then his <laughs> friend is re- a friend of ours is really really into Irish music and so he sent me a massive playlist and that was really really helpful if, if it hadn't been the pandemic then obviously you could have gone and spent a lot of time in brilliant little pubs with bands playing that was the plan I was like I want to go you know find Irish musicians and and just sit in pubs and listen to amazing music and (laughs) we spend lots of time in Ireland so you know we have done lots of those amazing bars and I've got I just love about whenever we're there is that like everybody can sing everybody can sing Mm. like it's every single table in the pub someone gets up and they sing and it's beautiful and their, their musicality is just extraordinary everybody is musical everybody understands music in this kind of innate way it's really special were you there for filming I was I was there because um because Jamie my husband is in the film so I went to visit him um went over with the kids and uh and I didn't you know I didn't go on set or anything but I just went and um we had like a you know a week and we went to who was kind of gone holiday on the west coast so we went there when Jamie had some time off and um so yeah we had a really nice nice trip there just a, a, a nice I wondered whether you'd kind of you know had a bit of energy from the the filming of the film sort of thing as well which is it's, I not many composers get the chance to go on set really do you know what I mean to yeah that's true. To feel that energy of what's going on whilst it's being created. Yeah, and I think because um, because Jamie was doing it, I think I kind of secondhand was getting so yeah. much of his energy when he was filming and he was having the most amazing time and it was a really special job to him and he just loved it. And so, you know, so I definitely kind of inherited this passion for the film because from him. He kind of handed me the baton and then I could go, you know, ahead. But I, I'd, I'd been around, you know, his excitement. The pair of them have got the most brilliant comedy pairing together, I think, as well. And, and the kind of the way the music complements specific scenes like the metal detector and the Mac. I think I'm a B. <laughs> That's just like, <laughs> it's just the best line. It's just so... It's so random. But that, I think that's what's so great about his script is that it's kind of got this... It's a bit like a kind of 
you know, sort of Martin McDonough type kind of dark. It's, it's not a dark comedy, but it's got this kind of slightly left fieldness to it that. It's bonkers. You know, yeah, it's bonkers. so funny. I so think funny. I hear, God, woman, I think I'm a bug. I mean, you just. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of, you know, and it's it's so funny. It's but it's what's fun. They they don't think they're funny. It's the absurd. It's absurd. Can we talk about Sinead O'Connor, please? Yes. Oh my God. So that was just like an amazing um, kind of thing that happened, and and it was um, when I, I wrote. So one of the cues that I wrote for the film, um, I wrote, and from the very first time the director heard it, from when John would just he said, you know, I think that this is a song, and I was like, okay, but. Is it okay as a cue for this right now? He's like, yes, okay, great, great, great. So we're all happy. And then I, you know, it would be somewhere else in a slightly different guise. And he'd be like, I just think this is a song. And I was like, well, maybe, could be. <laughs> I was Jamie of, could sing it. To, yeah, I was just trying to get the, the score written, you know. And and then and and but John would just always go on and on about the, you know that this this melody should be a song and needs to be written and you need to write it through and all this kind of chat. And then they kind of had, I guess, a discussion that there would be a song for the end credits. And I know that they were going out to various writers, you know, to, to write the song. And then John did send me some lyrics. And I just remember he sent me this email and he was like, I know you're really busy doing the score, but uh, I've written the lyrics and, you know, I just, I think there's something in this. And, and so I remember just going, oh, and it was real crunch time with the score. And it was, you know, we were like maybe three weeks away from recording. And I was just like, oh, I can't, I can't really do this right now. And then I was like, you know what, just, just sit down at the piano and just see. And, um, and so the, and I wrote this song and it just, you know, and it did kind of, in a way, John was right. Like it did just kind of write itself from this cue mm-hmm. and the lyrics were really beautiful. And so I wrote this um, song and John loved it. And it was like a really lovely thing to get to do together. And then I, and then him and the music supervisor called me like maybe a week later and we're just like, Sinead O'Connor's going to sing the song. And I was like, what? It was just so brilliant and, and I remember them saying because I said who's going to sing it and they were like oh you know we're going to try and find an Irish singer and I was like oh great you know <laughs> and I didn't realize they'd find the Irish singer <laughs> um so yeah it was really it was really exciting and 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 she did the most beautiful vocal and it was really really special climb until your legs are weary I guess you know again thanks to the pandemic and stuff in 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 normal normal existence you all might have got together in a studio but I imagine that wasn't the case in terms of how she recorded it or did you get to speak to her much about it at all? I did get to speak to her had a really nice chat with her she was just so lovely and then um and then she just went into a studio in Dublin and, and I was in London and we were you know recording 
kind of simultaneously. And so, you know, um, so you know, sad, I would have loved to have been there, but um, but it wasn't to be. But at least, but yeah, I did get to talk to her, and yeah, she was just lovely and kind, and her vocal I just thought was just so full of heart. Yeah, it's so lovely to hear her voice. You know, kind of a, a woman whose 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 entire existence is you know, it feels like a film script in itself, you know, in terms of what she's been through. It's so powerful to hear her vocal, really is. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just, the, from the first word, like I literally heard the first take, the first word of the first take, and it just took my breath away because I think I've forgotten how distinctive her voice is. And when you actually hear it, it's just, it's unmistakably her. Um, and that's just such a gift. Mm. Um, before we wrap up, we've had some lovely people kind of just... Um, asking questions about certain things and quite a lot of students who are starting to get into you know the world of, of composing and stuff and they love to kind of get tips on things as well and it's 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 really you know it's amazing to sort of see your the composing that you're doing and, and where it goes you know this journey that you're on as a composer but what what was that step from acting into composing was it uh, is, was it was it always something you were just doing anyway but yeah, I mean, I'd say like it wasn't one step. There were like maybe yeah. like 10, <laughs> 20 or 50 steps in between. It's definitely a leap, you know. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a slow process um, for me to kind of get to, to this point. And I think that it took me a really long time to just have the kind of confidence and belief to actually even say the words so oh, I, I want to write film music you know that was like a massive thing for me to to say at the time and I um so it yeah it was something 100% I'd always done as in writing music and composing and, and writing melodies and you know all, mm. all my life and, and when I was acting I used to have you know once once I had a laptop and once I had logic for the first time that was the thing that really kind of changed everything because I suddenly could write a piano melody and then I could write a string melody and then I could do a beat and then I could do a bass and then I could, and I could add and suddenly I had a track and that was amazing and really liberating and so I remember I think that kind of I maybe got logic for the first time when I was about 24 and I just and even so when I was acting I used to be in my trailer and I used to be you know fiddling around with some kind of you know yeah. thing that I was doing and then I kind of did, you know, I was writing songs for a bit and I was doing some covers and the cover thing was really interesting because that was the first time I got into arrangement and started mm. to really see like how songs are put together and how, you know, what, what are the strings doing? What's this person doing? What, what are these things doing? And I really started to break things down. And that's what that's kind of was was what I loved. And also during that time, I started doing some stuff to picture. And started doing some commercials and some um, short films. And that's when it all kind of solidified. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. And I remember the first time I, I did a commercial for Orange. And I, um, I'd written this little string quartet um, arrangement. And I went and we recorded it in France. And I remember going there and hearing the string quartet play this thing that I'd written. And it was just this unbelievable moment of kind of... Mm discovery and just I was like this is this is this is what I want to do you know so it was kind of once I once I got to that point then it was just working out how to how to do it and how to keep doing it and um you know yeah yeah it's a bit of a you know it, it definitely was a weird journey and I always feel a bit kind of conflicted if people ask me oh what advice do you have or how do you get started I'm like well I don't I mean I can't really give any advice because I got started in such a weird way and it took me such a long time to work out 
the path, you know, and I'm still working it out. So, I mean, I, my advice would probably be, you know, be a bit more straightforward about it and go and study and get... <laughs> Get the, get the training and get the all the stuff that I didn't that I didn't do you know I would but you you don't need to do it because you you know the, the the training it comes from connection I think you know in terms of an emotional connection in a story or a, a character and and wanting to express through that as well and I think that it's so exciting seeing what you're doing and it's you know it was really nice actually because when you came to do the BFI um chat with Emily and Carly yeah and um we talked about uh, lady parts, and uh, <laughs> which was just this amazing leading lady parts, just this amazing little TV short. But then we, in full circle, we got to speak to um, Jessica Swale um, about it and you on the podcast as well. And it's so nice when you can kind of join up the dots for things as well. It's, it's nice when you can kind of do that and, and, and also talk about women in the industry and just celebrate the work that everybody's doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully there's just more more and more of that happening and it's becoming kind of a, a lot more diverse and exciting space to be in. Yeah. Um, listen, thank you for your time today. So great to see you. And uh, I look forward to what's next as well. Oh, thank you. All right, lovely. Yeah. Take care. Have a good Bye. day. Yeah, you too. Lovely to chat. Bye. My huge thanks to Amelia for taking the time to join us. You can watch Wild Mountain Time on Home Ents formats now. It is a right hoot. I had such a laugh watching this. I thought it was very funny. And her score is available via our good pals at Lake Shore Records. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chat with Amelia's husband, Jamie, and the live show that Millie featured in from the BFI alongside Carly Paradis and Emily Levenez Farouche. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please don't forget our little YouTube channel where I put together a regular show as a companion to this podcast. Next week, we have a fantastic double act who are not only partners in life, but also partners in creativity. Elliot Goldenthal and Julie Taylor have worked together on a number of projects, including Frida, for which Elliot won an Oscar. Their most recent project stars Julianne Moore in The Glorias. Julie Taylor and Elliot Goldenthal are next week's guests on Soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Bye.